This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Ben Dowsett, as always, joins me uh, on the other side of the studio here. Um, associate editor for Salt City Hoops, overall gentleman and scholar. I keep waiting for you to introduce yourself as Andy B. Larson, but I, then I remember that you don't refer to yourself I, that way. No, I, I don't. I'm I'm Andy Larson, and the B is because there are other Andy Larsons out there who are also first. on Twitter. Uh, yeah, on Twitter, and we're first. Okay. Um. But yeah, uh, you mentioned we mentioned in the intro there, or deep voice ESPN intro man mm-hmm. mentioned in the intro that we are a MBO that covers all uh, all segments of the NBA from the local front to around the association. This shows me around the association today. Yeah, as, um, as might be the next little while, but until draft time at least, because there's less going on in Jazz Town and a lot more going on around the association. Right. Yeah, and I mean, with eight different playoff series, sixteen teams still in it. Uh, we've got some interesting playoff series, if not close playoff series. Seven yeah. of the series thus far are, are 2-0, but we'll we'll get into each of those series, kind of break them down, what we've seen thus far, what we look to see as the series move into the uh, away teams portion of, of home court advantage, if that makes sense. Uh, I, I want to get your guys' input on the show. As always, this is a social, social show, so I want to get your guys' input and, and thoughts on whatever we have to say, whether that be on one of the playoff series going on, or if you do want to talk about jazz basketball, something going on in jazz land locally, we'd love to talk about it with you. You can always tweet me at Andy B. Larson. That's the <laughs> reference earlier. Or Ben over here at Ben underscore Dowsett. You spell that D-O-W-S-E-T-T. As does my father and the rest of my family. The rest of the Dowsets do as well. Yeah. Uh, and then you can also call us at 877-353-0700. That's 877-353-0700 if you have something to, to share. But we'll be reading your tweets and, and whatnot all on air. So, uh, yeah, feel free to chime in. But first, we want to talk about these playoffs. They've uh, been, I think I, a lot of people have been kind of crapping on them a little bit. <laughs> like because they're you know because the number we're going to talk about a number of the series are two zero and everything. I think it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed, I mean last year's first round kind of set the bar really high. I think, but I don't think it's been that much less exciting. Myself, maybe a little bit. But. I would say I would say that there haven't been. Not only are all the series at two zero except for the one Spurs Clipper series, uh, but there haven't really been a ton of close games either. I mean that too. I guess. I guess some of that stems from the fact that I get my entertainment in basketball from different things than maybe most people do. No, and and that's that's the case. I mean, you're looking at the X's and O's and what's working well for both sides, and and you know I I look at that too. But then you know you have to look at it from a casual or even kind of that mid fan point of view and say, mm-hmm. you know, before yesterday the closest uh, game in any of these series was at six points. Yeah, that's and, true. And so you know, yesterday Atlanta Hawks versus versus Nets that was a five point game. That was the closest game thus far. And then, of course, the overtime game between the Clippers and Spurs last night uh, was was the closest game of, of the 16 so far in the playoffs. 
But that being said, it hasn't been down to the wire stuff yet. And I think that's what people wanted to see, especially in the West where the the teams finished with such similar records. Yeah, well, I mean, and we can get into it now. I, I think that a big part of why we're, you know, seven of the series are 2 nothing, And then, well, the, the first part of what I was saying is that I think Spurs Clippers, by the way, just by itself kind of brings the whole level up like a, a good a good deal. I think Spurs Clippers is better than any first round series we had last year like already almost which is kind of crazy uh, that I, might be a slight exaggeration i disagree but. i mean think about like spurs mavericks last year or i mean there are a lot yeah. of seven game series last year that i i would take over that especially because i, I mean I, I think the spurs do play beautiful basketball but a lot of people aren't a fan of that style and then it seems like everyone around the league for whatever reason doesn't like the clippers because whether that be the whining of chris paul and blake griffin or perceived whining um you know doc rivers got a technical last night uh, people don't love their um kind of super style superstar style style of offense i guess which is weird because then the spurs are the exact opposite and people don't like them either so it's kind of like well, yeah. True, but it's in, hard to please people, I guess, is what I'm I saying. I guess that's true. Yeah. And I, although I think in a lot from a broader perspective, the reason why many of these other series, particularly in the West, as you mentioned, haven't been as close are, well, injuries for one, like Portland Memphis would be a lot better series if the, right. Portland didn't have all those injuries. Right. But beyond just that is I think we're seeing that. And I was kind of talking to some people about this before the season ended. No one listened to me because no one ever listens to me because <laughs> well, you shouldn't. It's not a good idea. But uh, you just uh, don't get any respect ever. I get no respect. That t- anyway, uh, the, uh, the I was I was saying that I think there's actually a little less parity, especially in the West, than we maybe thought there was at the you know at the start of this year when all those teams in the West got out to such a hot start. Before we kind of recognized that Golden State was pretty much better than any of them, there was a lot of talk about oh you know there's six teams in the West right now that could win the championship, or there's seven teams in the West that could win the championship, and I think that narrative sort of prevailed over a much of the remainder of the year when I think by like January or February it was pretty obvious that that was not really the case. Well, I I, I may disagree with you there because again, we saw movement from two to six in the last day of the season. That's true. And those those teams were all within one game of each other. So to say that there wasn't parity there, I, well, I think is unfair. Is... And, and sure, the Warriors are by far and away the best team in the Western Conference but even that series in this, in this playoff series has been closer than I think most people expected including yourself i would agree with that i just think that in general as far as teams that have a realistic shot at winning the title it's still like three or four maybe what are those four in your mind Uh, golden state cleveland san antonio and honestly at this point i would say the clippers actually i'm not houston i would maybe throw i was gonna say maybe i would throw houston in there and i guess atlanta is still memphis on no no, why not? I don't, Memphis? Think, I don't think Memphis can beat Golden They've, State. What what more do they have to? Sh- okay, they have to beat Golden State in the second sure, round, so and then Houston either and San, San Antonio okay. or Houston in the conference finals, and then probably Cleveland in the finals. I, I mean, I think Memphis has impressed a lot. They have. Far, I right? hope they win. I have them at twenty to one from a bet like uh, like six months ago to, or like a year to ago, win the actually, championship. To win the NBA championship. How much did you bet? Uh, I think I allegedly had, allegedly I think I had twenty bucks on it or something, so, which would I mean, be some decent money bucks. if they hit it's it. It's a good deal. Which it, all they'd have to do is make the finals, and then I could hedge it in the other direction. Like, because that's what you do. If you oh, have a right. season-long bet and the team makes the finals, you just bet the other team and hedge it. Unless right, right, right. you're really, really confident that it's going to hit. You're but a I, big Grizzlies fan, though. Uh, 
No, I just thought the <laughs> twenty to one at the time was way too long for them, and I think I was right. I think twenty to one was way too long for them, but I still don't think they could win the championship. Okay, well, so I guess in my mind, though, any team with better than twenty to one odds is is a legitimate threat to win the championship, right? And you I just guess. called them not a legitimate threat to win well, the championship. Well, I mean, I made the bet a year ago, but I, 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 right now, I just I don't necessarily think they've got. They've still got Conley is still hobbled, which isn't killing them right now because Lillard can't defend to save his life. But when they get into a series with guys who can and with guys who are going to run Conley around a lot more on the defensive end, it could end up being a problem. If it, it's plantar fasciitis, right, that he's got mm-hmm. going on, I'm pretty sure. I'm just not too sure about them. Um, so let me ask. You know, we we pointed out that seven of the series are at two zero. Um, you you mentioned that another thing going on, kind of trending in this in these playoff series, is it seems like the the rest that players had at the end of the season has been really effective in in terms of making them play better, at least for the first two games of the playoffs. It has, and the other effect that I think I've seen is I think a few coaches are sort of overdoing that to a degree, hmm. as far as how much they're leaning on and the, the best. Ex- I'm writing about this for tomorrow, so I'll save some of it for then. But the best example is the the Clippers in game one when they blew out the Spurs and were up by 17 points with three and a half minutes left in the game and kept all their starters in for the remainder of that game, even though it's a mathematical impossibility that they could lose. (laughs) I mean, not really, but it pretty much is. Like, the win probability is probably, like, less than 1% at that point for San Antonio, and they left all the starters in. It happened also with LeBron in game one of the Cleveland series where they were up 15 for the majority of the second half, and I think he played all but a minute 43 of that half. But those players have been playing a a lot of minutes and, and have played well in those minutes, right? I, mean, I agree, uh, but the, the, my whole point with it and the, that, I'm, that I make in detail in the article that I'm writing is that just because a guy may have the physical capability to, to do that, which of course someone like LeBron does right now, the effect of that can be long-term, especially on a guy like LeBron. He's the poster child, essentially, for playoff overuse, 2011 finals, and the cramps he's gotten at multiple points in the playoffs. That's those right. are overuse deals. That, plus, it's really just about, like, you take those and assess those as part of your risk. If there's a high reward, it's a super close game and we yeah, need okay. him, then that's part of your risk-reward. But if it's a 15-point game with six minutes left and you there's it's and you're at home and it's going to be and you've out by the way in that game Cleveland outscored Boston by 10 while LeBron sat down so they were doing fine without him all that together there's really no upside to playing him whereas yes the downside is likely very small it's not likely that he's going to get hurt or that anything bad is going to happen down the line but even the smallest minuscule chance if there's no upside why are you doing it it's basically my thought and I mean this has been a problem for coaches you know for time unknown, it's just coaches leave their star guys in for a long time because I, you know, one time someone a team came back and they lost and you know they learned their lesson to never do it again. Not really considering the the I guess the probabilities on the other side. Yeah, I wanted to point out another kind of example on your behalf though on this is that Blake Griffin, who played forty seven minutes last night, had that terrible turnover at the end of, of the fourth quarter that really gassed. because yeah in, in a lot of ways I, I i think that you have to go to him being gassed as a as a real explanation for that yeah having played 42 minutes to that point uh, i believe it was 12 consecutive minutes before then yeah and yeah then when it came time for him to basically go iso and and do what he does so well 
he he lost the ball out of his hands. And yeah, I, to me, that's a fatigue sort of turnover. And same thing in this game with LeBron right now. I mean, the Cavs are up 11 as we speak, I think. And if they don't stretch that a little more, he's on pace to play 42 minutes again if he plays hmm. the rest of this quarter, which I just, that'll be 41 plus in each game in this series so far. And I just don't, I don't see why that's necessary for a team that they're really like, yeah, Boston's hanging around and they're, they have a lot of heart and everything like that, but they can't beat the Cavs in this series. If you, <laughs> if you can't lose the series and you, you got to be realistic about that, like, yeah, you don't want to look past anyone or anything like that. But if this Cavs play team plays anywhere near their level of expectation right they can't be beaten in this series so what's the need to overtax a guy when you need him for three more series after this all of which will be far more difficult than this one that's fair another playoff trend we want to talk about and and then we're going to be breaking down each of these eight playoff series one by one uh is these playoffs uh, again and we've seen this time and time again but i think it's just a really interesting lens in which to look at it is that the playoffs are the ultimate crucible for any weakness that any player has uh, on on any team, especially starters. Uh, and, and, you know, we see this time and time again, whether this be DeAndre Jordan's free throw shooting or it be uh, Damari Carroll's not great mid-range shooting or Danny Green's inability to dribble and create offense. I mean, just uh, sometimes teams are able to exploit even these, like, small weaknesses that aren't exploited whatsoever during the regular season and teams just go at them time and time again in the playoffs yeah it just gets down essentially to scouting when you're you know when you're in the regular season and you're traveling all the time and you've got games sometimes on back-to-back days there's we've talked it before about how it's really hard to fit in practice time to things like that and if it's hard to fit in practice time that means it's hard to fit in time to scout oh you know James Harden really likes to go away from the pick on pick and rolls it's hard to find time to get into the individual minutiae there and And to some extent you're also working on your own stuff for so that you're ready to execute in the playoffs exactly and then you get to the playoffs and it's like wait we don't have to think about the team we're playing in three nights we just have to think (laughs) about this one team and dissect every single thing they do that's a it's a totally different animal and especially if a team's locked into their seed before the playoffs started which didn't really happen much this year but when that happens coaches will have even further head start to get going on stuff like that and it really you're right it just it brings out you see guys just disappear from the floor like Spencer Hawes for the Clippers didn't play at all last night might not see him again just because he just got exploited completely when he was on the court Mm -hmm. let's let's go ahead and break down these series and and I've I've got kind of points related to actually each of us have a point related to each series and then I kind of want to put fit them into these playoff trends um, because I think there are some interesting uh, data points that make each of them fit. So first one, I want to talk about Spurs Clippers because I think that's the most exciting playoff series oh, yeah. to this point. And of course, was the overtime game last night. Uh, first of all, you had a point about Chris Paul's performance thus far. Yeah, he's been ridiculous. Um, his <laughs> his true shooting percentage is seventy point four. When you see anything, is that, good? that it's seems good. pretty good. When you see anything involving any kind of shooting percentage, even if it's one of these advanced metric shooting percentages that gets above like is in the 70s or even the high 60s you're usually doing pretty well especially as a guard which like because sometimes you'll see those kinds of numbers for like deandre jordan because right. most of his shots are dunks but chris paul never dunks and he he's been incredible interestingly enough certain other areas of his game have come really far down from where you'd expect him in previous playoffs like his, what his free throw rate is really far down his assist percentage is actually a lot further down than normal i think that jibes with what we're seeing though i think he's 
he's decided that there's certain times where it's on him to make things happen, and if he has an open shot, he's stroking it right now, so he's just taking them. Are, are the Spurs allowing him to do that at all, or are to they trying point, to take away that kind of assist game? I still think there's a chance the Spurs would prefer to let him take that sort of still moving to his right little jumper from the mid-range, even though he's killing it with it right. right now. I think in the long run, they might still prefer to have him shoot that rather than double him up and then let him find a J.J. Redick for a wide-open three. Like, I mean, it's worth remembering that the Clippers were the league's best offense this season. and so Very good reason even why. Though, even though Chris Paul making those shots is terribly efficient, everything else that the Clippers do is, is terribly efficient, too. Yeah, definitely. Now, you had a stat as well, speaking of the uh, potential overuse of players. Yeah, we talked about that. Um, thus far, Blake Griffin combined minutes, 89 Combined minutes, that's so a lot. yeah, that's forty-four and a half average per game, and obviously there was the overtime game last night, but still they're relying on them heavily. We pointed out last week how they do not have a, a lot of depth on the Clippers. No, it's awful, um, and so especially at the big ro- uh, rotation. I mean, they, they played, oh, yeah. you know, Tito f- Turkoglu at the four is is just such a downgrade from yeah. Blake Griffin. Well, and for me, that's a b- an even bigger reason why what we were saying before about it, you've got to get those guys out for those last three and a half minutes type of a thing of a blowout game because. They need every possible ounce of juice from those guys because of how weak their depth is and because of how reliant they are on those top guys. If I mean, those three and a half minutes, maybe it won't make a difference, or maybe it will. I I don't know. Anyway. What do you think about Hack-a-DeAndre, De- Hack or Hack-a-Jordan, or Hack-a-Shack, or Hack-a-whoever? Hack-a-Person. Hack-a-Person. I, I, I think it's really interesting, and the most interesting thing to me is that in the last couple of days, uh, fueled in large part by Seth Partner, who we have on the program uh, every once in a while, who wrote a couple of different things on it, actually. It looks as though, even in DeAndre's case, with his ridiculously low free throw percentage, which is like, what, like 41% or something goofy like that? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is. Even with that, if you do the math and also factor in the rate at which the Clippers rebound his free throw misses, which we can track now due to all the lovely information that we have from NBA.com, we can actually track what percentage of DeAndre's specific, his own free throw misses the Clippers rebound as a team offensively, and it's like 19%, which is way, way higher than the typical league average for Mm -hmm. those types of numbers. When you factor that in, when you factor in the fact that doing that gives the defense time to rest and you're facing a set defense every time you come down the floor on the way back, you factor in all those factors plus San Antonio's typical half-court efficiency in a normal half-court set, it's not the right move mathematically especially not when you're leading like they were doing it last night because you're stopping the clock in two right. to five seconds. You're, you're giving them more time to come back. Exactly. Um, and, and we saw that last night that the Spurs lost their big lead in the fourth quarter because of, uh, I don't know if because of is fair, but well, I think I, it was pretty closely related. I mean, they, they, the big thing was stopping the clock. It wouldn't have been so bad if they had maybe waited 10, 12 seconds on each possession and then fouled Jordan, but I think they were worried about Chris Paul doing his thing where he shoots as you're trying to foul the guy and getting a shooting foul out of it. Um, I I think we're going to see less of it. I think Popovich may have kind of... Popovich think, made a mistake? I really Are actually we allowed think to say did. that like publicly? I really think there's a chance that this, <laughs> I tweeted this last night. Like, I'm not prepared to live in a world where the Spurs may have lost a game in large part potentially due to something that Greg Popovich did, which, yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting. He also left Danny Green out for a really long time. I'm not sure what was going on. Maybe there was something going on with Green that we don't know about. That's more speculative. But, yeah, um, I'm really excited for the rest of this series, basically. I don't even care if they keep hacking him. If, it's, if they think it's the right strategy and it's within the rules – it do it is my current thought. I've I'm kind of totally on the fence with the DeAndre thing. If they change the rules, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But as long as the rule is what it is, if teams think it's the right move, which may or may not be correct, but if they think so, 
Go ahead, man. I don't I don't hate it as much as a lot of people do. I I do hate clear path or intentional fouls on fast breaks. And so that's why the Andy Larson plan for fixing both this sort of hack a Jordan, hack a Shaq, whatever, and those clear path fast break breaking up and exciting highlight play stopping uh, fouls is to simply penalize intentional fouls so that it's two shots plus the ball. That way, you know, you, you kind of solve two birds with one stone. I, I don't know if solving two birds is, is what you do with They'd birds. They prefer to be regard- solved than killed, I guess. <laughs> Regardless, um, I, I think that plan makes a lot of sense. Because I, I don't mind it. Th- then, yeah, you get more highlight plays in the open court, and you don't get the hack of uh, Jordan that, you know, I, I understand why people don't like it. I agree with you. I care more about the whole the whole stopping of fast breaks thing, and guys will immediately do it if they have at least one defender back, even if there's, you know, two offensive players back, but just one defender, they'll foul real quick because they know that's going to be a two-on-one, but right. they won't get a clear path foul out of it. That's terrible. And that's stupid. That's I agree. That's really dumb. Anyway, we've spent a lot of time on this series. <laughs> let's talk about Warriors-Pelicans Yes, really let's do. Um, so... Just, um, again, do, trading off on who has the stats on these. Um, Draymond Green, uh, in their in their game two on Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis had a great game, don't get me wrong. Yep. And he did have six points in the fourth quarter, but all of those were from the free throw line. Other than that, he went 0 for 5 in the fourth quarter versus Draymond Green in, in game two. Um, you know, obviously versus Anthony Davis, that's the defining matchup of that series. Uh, I, I'm actually kind of surprised at how well the rest of the Pelicans roster has played against the Warriors' stingy defense. Especially with Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans both hobbled, which I think are almost conclusively their next two best players after Anthony Davis. I've, I've mm-hmm. been really surprised with how close the series has been, but I mean, you're, some of that might be fatigue from Davis, who was very tired by the end of that game, but also, I mean, Draymond is just a fantastic defender and it's right. it's completely ridiculous when he locks down there are very few guys truly and maybe your very best centers who like post centers and your very quickest point guards are going to be some of the only guys in the league that he can't do a, a and at least an above average job against as a defender yeah. the stat i had for this one um is that for this series so far the warriors are shooting 39.7 percent on all open jumpers outside 10 feet so that's no defender within four feet and they're getting about 35 percent of their shots on in that category they shot little higher during the regular season they shot 41 and a half percent on those shots plus got about five nearly five percent sorry four percent more of their shots open during the regular season Hmm. which actually indicates that despite being i think a bottom 10 defense on the year if i'm correct new orleans has actually done a pretty good job at challenging golden state's jump shooters and being as you know doing a little bit more to disrupt things which i don't think too many people saw coming i thought it was going to be well new orleans if you can get anthony davis going well enough to just outscore them for a game or two maybe you can grab a game or two but i think they've actually played as reasonable of defense as you can play against a behemoth like the like the warriors or close you know is is monty williams out coaching steve kerr not at all, but I will say that the the thing I have noticed about Monty Williams, he, there was a, there was a period this year where he was getting lumped into that you know truly detrimental coach category, like along with Byron Scott and, and Derek Fisher. Maybe some people would say Scott Brooks. I don't know. We're not we're not going <laughs> to not going to throw <laughs> you dirt would on say his grave. Scott Brooks. I'm not throwing dirt on the guy's grave at this point. But uh, ouch, he uh, the. I don't think I think it's been revealed within the last couple of months that Monty does not belong in that category. He may not be one of the league's best coaches, but I think his after timeout stuff, for example, New Orleans is the best team in the league after timeouts. I don't know if you knew that for the regular season mm. points per possession, best team in the entire league. It's crazy. Um, 
I think there are elements of Mondi's coaching game that are lacking, of course, but I think gloss over some of the ones that are actually pretty solid. He's done a good job with adjustments. See, and so everyone has this five coaches are good and five coaches are bad and the rest, the wide swath in the middle doesn't really matter theory. And I, I think that's just so reductive. Not like, that it doesn't matter in the middle, just that those it's hard to separate those guys from each other. But, it, I mean, I, I don't know that that's true. I mean, like, I can separate Monty Williams from Quinn Snyder. Do, like, do you think Monty Williams is better, better than Quinn Snyder? No, I think Quinn Snyder is better than Monty Williams, right, okay. and neither of those guys are top five or bottom five. Quinn's approaching that top five category <laughs> for me at the moment. No, he I, was I, voted I, eighth coach of the year, which we're going to get into later. Um, I, I I don't disagree. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I, I just you know I think coaching talent is probably like the rest of talent, and that it's it's maybe even bell curve distributed, right. which got really nerdy for this show. So we're going to we take do. a break. Yeah. On the other side, we're going to be talking about the remainder of the playoff series, uh, including both Hawks Nets with the Jazz East in, in Atlanta, uh, and of course the Cavs Celtics going game going on right now. Blaze Grizzlies as well. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. So on ESPN 700, I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowson on the other side. Just to give you a quick scoreboard update, Cleveland up 98-93 on the Boston Celtics. Uh, that game's got a minute 12 left to go in the fourth. LeBron just stirred Evan Turner. <laughs> I like that as a verb. Yeah. And uh, Chicago Bulls leading the Milwaukee Bucks, 69-59, uh, excuse me, 7.48 left in the third quarter. Anyway. Which is a big comeback for them. They were down, I think, close to like 15 points or so for the Bulls earlier in the game. Yes. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. That is, I, I, I questioned whether or not Bucks fans would come out, by the way, for that series. That was series, a good call. I've, I've, well, but I have been seeing that apparently there's a lot of Bulls fans in the there building. There are, but... The Bucks fans are louder, that's and that's great. what I was worried about. Well, one would hope so. Hawks Nets. Let's talk about that one really quick. Um, this is the Jazz East, if you will, with Demario Carroll, Kyle Korver, and Paul Millsap all in the starting five for the Atlanta Hawks uh, versus the Brooklyn Nets, who used to be the Jazz East when they had uh, Darren Williams and Andre and Andre and Chris Humphreys, but hey, no longer. Humphreys, right. But Darren Williams still exists on the Nets. Uh, they. His Nets lost last game, game two, on a Darren Williams missed wide open he's shot. Been, he's been awful. Um, Not just that. Sh- I mean, guys miss shots. That was actually a pretty good shot, but he, he's been awful, especially defensively. He's been so bad defensively. Uh, my question is, and, and it's it's bad. It's a bad sign for the Nets, and obviously the Nets aren't going to win the series, but it's a bad sign for the Nets that Atlanta shot just 38.9% in game two and still won. But uh, my question is, without Tabo Sefalosha, who had his leg broken by New York police. I mean, I, I'll just say it like that. Yeah, allegedly, no, I guess. Allegedly, but I think <laughs> it probably happened. Um, no, I'll I'll agree. I think I think they're. It's not like you say it's not going to be an issue in this series. They're going to be fine. But assuming that they make it, that to even I'm not sure how much it'll be an issue against Washington. We'll see. Washington does look pretty good at the moment, but I do think that. It's going to be when it is going to be an issue is if they make it to the conference final against Cleveland, only having one guy who can guard LeBron effectively in Damari Carroll. That's a, a large load to put on Carroll. Right. Now you don't have that backup guy that can come in and spell him if he gets in foul trouble. I mean, who's guarding him? Honest, like Kent Bazemore or somebody? Uh, Paul Millsap. I guess. Like, does, is that going to work? I don't know if that's going to work. Kyle Corver. Like, 
Um, something like that. So, And then the one I have is that the Hawks are actually minus nine in the fourth quarter over the two games of this series so far. Hmm. Not a huge deal. It's only a two-game sample size. It could just be they missed some shots. It could be a little bit of a blip. But at the same time, they haven't quite been closing as convincingly as you'd like. They've let Brooklyn back in a couple times in the fourth quarter now. We'll see if they, you know, if that's just a bit of focus and they got a bit lazy because it's a, sub, a superior, or, excuse me, a subpar team. We'll see how that ends up. Yeah, no, I I think that's fair. Let's move on to this Cavs Celtics series, which, by the way, look looks very much like the Cavs are going to win that game one hundred one ninety three right now. Kevin Love just hit a big three. He's been really good tonight, actually. Uh, your stat on this series, I my stat for this one is, and it this was a pre this game stat, which has changed now. Um, it's plus fifteen point three per one hundred, and that is that was Boston's on court net rating, positive net rating in the twenty three minutes that Jonas Jerebko was on the floor in games one and two. How many minutes has he played tonight? Uh, a lot because they started with him in the second half. Um, okay. He's played right now. He's at twenty five actually, so he's more than doubled his minutes for the series just in this game. And they, let's see, they're a. They're a plus two with him on the floor. Wow. He is the only Celtic in positive figures. So I look good because I made this stat before the game started, which was that I believe the Celtics should play Jonas Jerebko more, and specifically he should play over Brandon Bass and potentially over Evan Turner even, which for in large part he has done in this game. And I think he's one of the only guys there that helps kind of spread the floor enough while also being able to give least passable defense on a guy like Tristan Thompson, for example. Jonas Jerebko, superstar. Exactly. Your stat. My stat, uh, zero, which would be zero second-half leads for the Celtics thus far. I think does that, I think that holds true even in this game, right? If I'm not mistaken, the I Celtics have so. not led in the second half of this game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> not sad. thoroughly – I'm not just – I'm just not taking that much from this series because nothing about this series is going to be the same for the Cavaliers going forward. Like right. LeBron, LeBron is actually going to be guarded in future series, which is <laughs> not really happening so much in this one there. And a few other Arsh. things that are just, there aren't the other teams makeups just really aren't like what Boston's is. Boston has no real center. Um, LeBron's going to find it a lot tougher sledding, getting to the rim against a team like Chicago or against a team like, even like Atlanta, they have a lot better rim defense that even without a, a great center. Well, Horford is, it's pretty, a pretty good, center. very very good center actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really waiting to pass any judgment on whether I really think the Cavs can win the championship until at least the next series, if not the one after. Let's move out west to Blazers Grizzlies. This one has not been close this far, which which I, I expected a little bit more. Uh yeah, I kind of didn't. I picked the Grizzlies in five, I think, and I'm I'm feeling all right about it so far. The the there's just too many injuries for the Blazers. We talked earlier about how weak points in the rotation are going to be exploited, and we're seeing that they just the, the what Blazers, are those weak are being exploited? Well, McCollum, um, he you know he's had a good run near the end of the regular season, and he can create some stuff for himself, but he's not a very good defender. He's and also Lillard is just a a horrendous defender, literally down there with guys like Trey Burke is some of the worst. In fact, I think Lillard is a worse defender than Trey Burke. Trey tries harder. Trey, <laughs> like, no, really, Trey's footwork is better. He's put, he's clearly put more work into it in his time mm. in the league. Lillard is just a complete train wreck on that end. Um, and they they're being exploited for it, but they you know of course they're never going to be able to score enough if Lillard's not on the floor. Right. Speaking of which, my stat for the series so far is that they the the Grizzlies are holding Portland. Over 18 points under their season average. Uh, wow. in two, it's only two games, but they're—I mean—they're really stifling everything Portland wants to get to. They're doing a really great job against Lamarcus Aldridge because they can. You don't have those other guys on Portland that you know a Wesley Matthews or even like an Aaron Aflalo who can re, who can kind of hurt you at least when they put a lot of pressure on a guy like Lamarcus Aldridge. 
And with Dame playing the way he has been, which is pretty putridly on both ends, Portland doesn't really have a chance. Yeah, I mean, my stat here was the basic win-loss. They've lost six in a row against Memphis all this season. Um, that's it's bad. just a bad. They just can't. For they them. can't win. And the, you're, they do get a follow back um, in game three. We'll see how much that helps. So they can stem some of those McCollum minutes. Things should be a little better. But I don't have a whole. I do think Portland will grab one because either Dame or Lamarcus is just going to have a game where they're going to be like, "Screw it, I'm not losing this game," and they'll <laughs> okay. and they'll do something crazy. But beyond that, I still think it's a five game series. Yeah, I, I I think that's completely fair based on what we've seen thus far. Yep. Bulls Bucks, another game that's happening uh, right now. Current score is not on my scoreboard. I got Let's Bulls see, sixty-six, sixty-five. Yeah. Chicago, Milwaukee. Uh, I, I think this series is actually really interesting, and, and Game Three obviously says a lot. I, I really do think that the Bucks can win this game, and obviously being within one, obviously they can. Um, but uh, right now they're not shooting well at all, and no. they're not a good shooting team. But they're a better shooting team than this. Just to give you an example, game two, they shot 35% uh, 35.3% from the field on contested shots, which is about league average, maybe a little bit less. 35.9% from the field on uncontested shots. That's not good. That's very well below um, league average. And so in the end, uh, you know, they're, they're just not shooting well. Eventually, I think these shots will fall. And if they do, I think we could see them win either tonight or game four or maybe even both. I want to check how they're shooting for tonight. I'm not. I have, and obviously, I can't check the uncontested or contested numbers until the game ends. They're yeah. shooting. I mean, they're shooting forty-eight percent from the field, which is pretty good. Yeah, that's fifty uh, percent from three. Although they've only taken eight, so I don't know that I put too much stock in that. But um, and then Miritich is out tonight for the Bulls, and if yeah. that, that could be a larger storyline if he remains out in future games. If this isn't just a one-game thing, he's been big for them. He's really allowed them to stretch the floor. Yeah, I, I mean, I pointed out he had the best net rating on the Bulls this season in, in terms of on-court, off-court. Yeah. So when, when he's on the court, the Bulls do really well. Uh, when he's been off the court, they've, they've struggled a little bit. They've been about an average team, and you know, I, I think we're seeing that against the Bucks tonight. A little bit. And then, yeah, the stat I had, again, not including tonight's game, was that the combined shooting percentages of Giannis Antetokounmpo and Michael Carter-Williams was 30.6% from the field coming into tonight, which is really, really bad. And with the amount of offense that that team needs from those guys, just because they don't have a ton of other really gifted offensive creators, that's that's a bit of a problem. They, in this series, they happen to be up against a Bulls team that at times can have similar problems, but especially if, if they get Miritich back, and I've heard, I haven't been watching as much of the Bulls game tonight, but I've heard that uh, Derrick Rose is playing really well, and if that would make two out of three games that he's played pretty well now in the playoffs. So is Derrick Rose back? I'm not willing to go there until Derrick Rose is not back. Let's see like three series first, and then I'll, maybe I'll go there, or let's see how he looks against LeBron <laughs> and the Cavs next series if they win. I had that one as a five-game series too and it's another uh, honestly i'm feeling pretty good about all my picks right now like i haven't lost the chance to get each of my series picks nailed on the nose so why is it that you went to vegas for the memphis 21 pick but not all of your first round picks ben uh well i just happened to be there last year <laughs> or no actually i w- actually wasn't there my buddy was there and he made a i just i just need i just need right uh, allegedly, allegedly I, yeah, I, you know whatever um I just, I just need you to put something behind your, if this, your prediction. If man, if I get these series all as right as it looking as it's looking like I could, like basically every series is on track for the way I picked it right now, which is kind of crazy. I know it's way too early to say that for sure, but like it's not like I picked one team to win in six and they're down two nothing or something right now. Like I have that hasn't happened in any of the circumstances. If I get a bunch of these right, I might have to put something on the next <laughs> round or something like that. I did. I felt like I had a pretty good feel. 
going into these series. Like a few of the like Washington, Toronto, I think a lot of people picked different things in that series. Some people had Toronto mm-hmm. in, in five, I think I saw. Some people had Washington in six, Washington in seven. I had a pretty good feel for it. I liked Washington pretty consistently, and they've looked a lot better. Same with Memphis and Portland, and same with Houston and Dallas. A lot of people picked that Dallas upset, and I was saying no way. I, that's what, I didn't think there was any chance of Well, that. we will bow down to your basketball knowledge. Um, if I turn out to actually... No, I will not. Right. <laughs> yeah. Plus, there, it's a long no, way to go. Yeah, I, no, I'm, I, I refuse. Yeah, Sorry. and it's a long way to go for me to actually be right about any of these, <laughs> but we'll see how it works out. All right, well, we're going to take a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking about the two remaining playoff series that we haven't discussed yet and uh, be reading any tweets or calls or taking your calls. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. My name's Andy Larson, managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. Ben Dowsett, associate editor of SaltCityHoops.com on the other side. Um, You can always tweet us, by the way. I said we would read your tweets. We don't have any tweets to read. You guys should fix everybody's that. W- everybody's watching the playoffs. I don't blame them. But you can watch the playoffs and listen to the radio and tweet all at the what same time. What you can't time. do, though, is drive and tweet at the same don't, time. Yeah, don't do that. And and so I, I understand people's frustration. There are some districts in which you can call and drive at the same time. Yeah, I think, it, isn't it if you have, like, a speakerphone or headphones or whatever? I am not qualified to give legal judgment on this topic. Okay. <laughs> okay. 877-353-0700 is our number, 877-353-0700. You also have breaking pizza news as well. I do. Um, I discovered this sometime last week. So little, not breaking. So but it's not breaking, but it's... Very important to It you. is hugely important that Little Caesars discontinued their pretzel pizza with nacho cheese on it, which is... is <laughs> Just really devastating news. I, th- I think anyone who's had it can commiserate with me on that one. It was basically a pretzel crust with like actual like salt and like a normal pretzel, and then normal cheese plus then that that worst thing for you in the world nacho cheese that yeah. you get on the side or that you get on the side for nachos. That My was theory just smothered all is over. Is that no one is there to commiserate this with you because they have all died because they ate that pizza? That's entirely possible. I might be the <laughs> only one with the with the gastrointestinal system that's, that's <laughs> set up from years and years worth of training to of handle abuse, something like not that. Not training abuse. Yeah, basically that might be the case. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> moving on to basketball things. <laughs> yeah, that is sad news though. Talk about Raptors Wizards. In my mind, this has been the worst playoff series of the bunch and and so i'm saving it not for last i want to go with another one for for the last one just so we don't have that taste in our mouth yeah it's this series taste in our mouth this has been one of the worst coached playoff series i think i can ever recall watching in my life i think those who follow the nba really closely knew that with washington that randy whitman there are elements of his coaching game that are not only just bland, but are also just kind of flat wrong. Like his system is designed <laughs> to get long two pointers in a lot of situations, which is just you shouldn't be doing that. Like, if, but if you're like Portland, where you want other shots, but then if it comes down to it, Lamarcus can hit that mid ranger. That's good. That's fine. But if you're designing stuff to get those shots specifically, it's like okay, just design it three feet further back and get threes instead. Yeah. Um, but then Dwayne Casey's done a worse job. Yeah, no, Dwayne. I think that's the. Th- I think some people were kind of on the fence about how who Dwayne Casey is as a coach. His defensive system all year has been kind of goofy. But you wonder if maybe that's just stuff he knows that we don't about personnel. Well, and Casey was the defensive coach for the 2011 Dallas Mavericks that did such a good defensive job. They did, you know, against a, against the Heat and uh, I mean the entire West in that whole playoff yeah, run. And it's. I think it's just turned out that as you're as we noted at the top of the show, the the playoffs are a different 
animal and things get a lot more specific and a lot more hyper-focused. And with that being the case, his rotations have been miserable. His tactics have been miserable. His defense somehow, <laughs> despite everyone knowing what Washington wants to do, they just haven't had any answer for it. John Wall, I had a number for this. John Wall has averaged 24.5 assist opportunities per game wow. so far in this series, which is like far and away the highest number in the league for the playoffs so far. Again, super small sample because it's only two no, games. No, but that's but, still incredible. I mean, that at least describes the first two games thus far. Yeah, and the Wizards are hitting about half of those. I think they may, they're making 12 and a half of those um, because I think that's how many assists he's averaging right now is 12 and a half, which, I mean, he's carving them up. They have no answer for him when he gets any kind of speed going whatsoever in his vision. I, uh, I'm, I'm again. I'm kind of patting myself on the back because I sort of oh, saw this coming. I think I, I definitely just Toronto's just a flawed team, and when you have flaws, Washington's in, a flawed team. They are too, but I just think they're a little more complete one through five. You know, you did that stat last week when we were previewing the playoffs about how Toronto was actually better as a net rating team with only two or fewer of their starters on the floor, whereas right. Washington with three or more of their starters was a significantly better team. And there's almost no situation where a stat like that bodes well for the Toronto type team in the playoffs. Right, because the the rotation shortened. Exactly. Uh, do you think we we talked about the Crucible? I, I think that maybe has something to do with Kyle Lowry's non performance in the series. Be. I mean, he averaged eighteen, seven and five in the regular season and he's averaged six and a half points per game thus far in in the first two, Oof. um, getting only four assists per game as well. I, I I, I mean, I think it's some of that that crucible thing as as the Warriors just hit three after three against the New Orleans Pelicans thus far. Um but I, I also just think Lowry's been playing really poorly. He has. That guy confuses me. You know, he went through that. It feels like that guy's gone through the gamut of overrated to underrated like <laughs> six times in the league already. What, yeah, no, where was fair. it where he was first? He was in Houston, I think, was where he was first. He was actually drafted by Memphis. Right. And then I think it was while he was in Houston that certain people, myself included, started being like, hey, look at this Lowry guy because he was only coming off the bench. At the, is, that, is Houston? Is that who I'm thinking of? I mean, he was coming off the bench mostly in, in Memphis and then went to Houston and, and went off the bench there and then started um, in his second season, second full season with the Rockets and, and did a really good job. Right, and that's when he broke out and then we started talking about how he was underrated and then I think then it swung to, you know, so underrated that he's overrated for a little while. But he while. was an all-star this year. He was, and then he got moved to Toronto, and last year was the, the underrated year. Last year was where everybody was talking about, you know, because he didn't make the all-star team. Everybody was talking about how much of a snub it was, so on and so forth. And then this year he got his due reward, and, and I think he deserved to be on the all-star team based on his first half play this season. But since then, I mean, he's been invisible. He's been really bad, frankly. He's, I mean, John Wall is, is eating his lunch in this series right now. Yeah, I, and I, I don't know if Wall's getting enough defensive credit for what he's done thus far. Let's move on to the other series, even though I actually have a couple more things to say on that one. Okay. Um, Rockets-Mavericks. Uh, this one's interesting. I mean, obviously, the Rajon Rondo cancer, I think, is now gone. Yeah, he's going to be done with quote-unquote back issues. We'll see what the deal, whether that's realistic but at all. Rick Carlisle said straight out he doesn't think he will play in a Mavs uniform ever again. Yeah. And given that Rick Carlisle gets to decide such things, I'm going to take him at his word. Yeah, I, I just think that's, I mean, a, a number of people killed that trade when it was first happening. You I think, did, yes. I think, we no, all know. I was going to say, I think you and I both were on that camp, were we not? No, I, I was actually like relatively pro that trade. Oh, were you? Okay. I, I just, and I my reasons for killing it weren't that he was going to devolve into the biggest prima donna in the world, which <laughs> I don't think anybody could have necessarily seen coming, yeah. although he's never exactly been the friendliest guy. But 
but my my issues were on court issues, which I think they've had serious ones as well. You just can't you can't have a guard that shoots that badly and hope to compete offensively in this West. You just yeah, can't. It, it, that's how it turns out. I mean, my point of view is that it was a risky deal, but maybe a risk they needed to make in order to become true contenders. Right. The thing with risky deals is sometimes they work out well and sometimes they don't, yep. and it just has been an utter and spectacular failure. Probably that outcome was probably more likely than I gave it credit for at the time. Yeah. Now, another unfortunate thing, though, in my stat for this series is that the Mavs have actually been outscored. The Mavs have been 3.8 points per 100 possessions worse with Dirk on the floor than they've been with him off the floor in this series, which is... That sucks. It's, it's the sad end to of see. Playoff Dirk. It is. I think we, this is the first year where we can finally say this is no longer a player who's good enough to be the go-to option on a title contender. That's so sad. It is really sad. Um, real quick, actually, uh, we did have a jazz-related tweet that I wanted yeah. to read really quickly from James Hansen. James says, "I think we're not giving Dennis Lindsay enough credit for making sure to draft Rudy. That's Rudy Gobert in the first round." Um, I would agree uh, to a point, although I think we've given him a lot of credit for doing that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know who he is, but he deserves a ton of credit. And, and honestly, so do the Millers for giving him the, the blank check in order to get that end of the first round pick yeah. from the from the Nuggets just for straight up cash. Yep, and same thing with um, Rodney Hood, they, although there was no cash involved. But same thing, you know, they with selecting Rodney Hood at 23, that appears to, at least so far, they appear to have hit that on the head. Yeah, that I mean, that seemed, so I, I would say that's been really impressive thus far. And absolutely the best thing that you can do as a general manager is be a good drafter yeah absolutely i mean that's that sets a baseline for you know you can see oklahoma city their their gm it's Presti's the gm there right yeah uh, i mean he's done a lot of things really badly that harden trade <laughs> was really awful but he's drafted so well that it's just dwarfed that completely right yeah and then that's really what it comes down to and it's funny that you know we we get the number three pick Ennis Cantor, and he turns out to be not a bust i don't think that's fair but you know not the player people i think expected him to be and then it's the number 27 pick on the other end of the first round that does so well um, and really is is the difference maker on on the defensive end of the court that really you know legitimately changed the Jazz franchise. Absolutely, you nail those picks. That's how you win as a small market franchise, basically. All right. Well, we're gonna go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we've got Nate Dunk, the best follows in the entire NBA Twitter sphere. Please follow him if you don't already. We've got him coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show right here on ESPN 700. Talking Hoops and the Association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. We're working to get Nate Duncan on the line. So while we do that, um, oh, we do have it on on the line. I want to do a quick scoreboard update really quick before we grab him. Bulls 86, Bucks 75. And, of course, we've got uh, Golden State Warriors 27, New Orleans 17 uh, currently right now. Did you say 27, 17? 20, I meant 21 to 17. So okay. regardless of what I said, it's 21 to 17. Anyway, we're going to have Nate Duncan on. Nate, as I said, going into this segment, is one of the best follows in the NBA Twitter sphere. Uh, and you can also listen to him every night after the playoffs on his Dunked On, uh, the daily basketball podcast. It's been some great listening thus far. So uh, how are you doing, Nate? Well, good. How about you guys? Good. So, I mean, we wanted to bring you on again. You're one of the best basketball followers there is. And, uh, you know, kind of get your thoughts on, on the playoffs. Uh, I, I'm curious, what, what's your biggest surprise been of this entire playoffs been thus far? Well, I think the way Dwight Howard has looked has been one. Um, the way Derek Rose has looked has been another. Those two guys really have both looked awesome, uh, and it's great to see with them coming back from the injury problems that they both had. 
Do you think that both those guys potentially getting back to levels that we've seen from them in previous years could kind of open things up a little bit as far as teams that have a realistic chance to make some noise? Because I think in a lot of people's minds going into the playoffs, Andy and I were talking about this earlier, there may have only been three or four teams with realistic title aspirations. Could that change at all if both those guys are back to the levels they've been at? I don't think so. It certainly makes things more competitive. I think that the Bulls are really going to struggle against the Cavs because, not necessarily because of the Rose, I think that that's encouraging, but the Cavs match up for an in Shumpert, who has traditionally guarded him pretty well. Um, and also, the Bulls' starting lineup, which Tom Thibodeau insists on playing, is knowing the soul, and that really is a miserable matchup for Cleveland's closing lineup, which is, uh, and oftentimes, it's not starting lineup that gets a lot of time with Thompson as an offensive rebounder. He uh, takes advantage of Gasol's weakness on the defensive glass. And then Noah has not been the same guy moving around. He's better at the center. He's going to space out to Kevin Love defensively. I just don't think that the Bulls ultimately are going to have enough to stop Cleveland if they were able to get Nikola Mirotic healthy, play him a little more, and not play the two centers together, then I might give them more of a chance, but I don't think they're going to do that, unfortunately. Okay, and same thing I would guess then with Houston as far as even a, even a spectacular yeah. Dwight performance doesn't quite get them to that level where they can beat a, a San Antonio or a Golden State? Yeah, I think if, you know, if, if Houston were in the East, you might say that, but I, I think the biggest problem for them is that the point guard injury. Uh, with Beverly, I don't see how they're going to be able to stop multiple wing threats like uh, the Warriors have in Curry and Thompson if they get that far. I think there's just too much of a gauntlet for uh, Houston to run through, although I think they are looking better. But this Dallas team obviously has their own issues and may not be the greatest witness test in the world anyway, so maybe we'll find out in the next round. Definitely. Now, I guess it's sort of similar to that last question, but are there any specific series here that are going wildly differently than you had thought? I've been kind of bragging subtly, not so subtly, actually, (laughs) on the show thus far about how I think my feel was on for most of these series as far as how they've been going. Were there any for you that you've you've been a little surprised at how they're looking thus far? Not really. Uh, I I actually, I think I expected Portland to be a little bit more competitive than they are expected. Lillard to play a little bit better than he has so far. That's probably been the most disappointing aspect, but it's been a pretty, it looked like it was going to be pretty chalk, and it's unfolding that way so far, with the exception perhaps of the Raptors Wizards series. But I actually liked the Wizards a little bit more in that series than a lot of people did because Paul Pierce was going to play more. And also, when they talked about playing him at the four, the Wizards were a lot better when Pierce played. They Played him very few minutes though this year to conserve him for the playoffs, and now that he's playing more, the Wizards look like a little bit of a different team. Toronto obviously has their own issues as well, and I was worried about a little bit about their their health issues, and that's kind of uh, in the case so far as well. So yeah, I think it's uh, it's looking pretty chalk so far in, in just about all the series. We've got Nate Duncan on. Uh, Nate, in your opinion, do these two zero series kind of indicate just bad matchups that you know maybe wouldn't have got us as, as close of series as, as we may have hoped for in this first round, or is there kind of less parity between uh, NBA teams than we may have thought going into this playoff series or this playoff round? Well, if you 
conducted these series, a lot of these series at midseason. You know, Portland, they're half their team's injured. They've missed Wes Matthews incredibly. You know, that would have been an unbelievable series if Portland were healthy going against Memphis. Dallas, you know, Chandler Parsons has been out. Devin Harris, their best point guard, has pretty much been out. Uh, you know, they've been playing Rondo more than they would have liked to. I mean, if they had their team from before the Rondo trade, maybe this is a much more interesting series than it has been. So I think that the injuries have been one of the big reasons why we haven't seen really, and even uh, New Orleans as well has been pretty hot you know, with Holiday and, and Eric with the knee contusion, Ryan Anderson not looking like himself either. So that's been a big reason why injuries, why we haven't seen as much competition as we have. And if you look at it, the healthier team is really on pace to win most of these series. So does that mean, I mean, we were, Andy and I were debating this a little earlier. I, I still think there really are only three, maybe four teams that can realistically win the title. Would you, would you be in agreement with that still? Yeah, I mean, so you look at Warriors, Cavs. I, throw, I would throw the Hawks in there. I think that their chances against Cleveland are being a little bit underrated. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, if you, if you get to the finals, you have a chance to win it. I mean, you never know what's going to happen there, though they would probably be an underdog against whoever came out of the West. Then you'd have to look at the Spurs and, you know, uh, and the Clippers, I think, also have looked, have looked pretty good, especially the way Blake Griffin, he's been another very pleasant surprise, uh, his late game four goals last night, notwithstanding. So, and, and the Bulls, I don't know. I, I, it seems so unlikely that they're going to use their players the right way. I think if they did, and if Miritich were able to get healthy, they might have some chance. But, um, you know, it seems so unlikely that they're just a total, total dark horse and same thing with Houston. That's a with we discussed Houston, but we didn't mention Chicago in there. That's interesting that you bring Chicago. I do think if you know if this is for real with Rose, which I, of course is obviously impossible to say at this point, but if it is, and you're right, Shumpert has traditionally done a good job on him, but that is at least going to tax Shumpert to a pretty high level. Plus, we'll see if David Blatt even has the chops to potentially start a guy like Shumpert, where he hasn't been doing that for a long time. That that's interesting. That's a good point. That yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Chicago, though. Would you, this is just off the cuff, If they, let's say they did, you know, Rose was spectacular, Miritich came back, Tibbs kind of uh, fixed up his rotations a little bit and maximized things against Cleveland, and they, and they pushed the upset. Would you, would you have that? I mean, how big of an underdog would they be against a team like Atlanta in the conference final at that point? Well, if they beat Cleveland, I think it would be, you'd have to look at, unless there were some sort of injury involved with the Cavs, there, you would look at that series as pretty close to a toss-up, maybe a little bit favoring the Hawks due to uh, their home court advantage. Yeah, I, I think I'd probably have to. That's an interesting. I'm glad that you brought up Chicago because I wasn't. You just kind of have a tendency to think, oh, you know, Chicago with a hobbled rose against LeBron. I've heard this story before, and just kind of move on from there. But I think that's the if everything comes together for them really well, I think we could see something like that. Um, we wanted to transition a little bit and also get your impressions on a couple of the awards that have happened thus far. And, and Jazz fans have a, a particular interest in a couple of them just because a couple of our guys have been kind of on the fringes. Uh, today we got the results of the Defensive Player of the Year Award won by Kawhi Leonard of the San Antonio Spurs. We saw Draymond Green of Golden State second and then DeAndre Jordan third, which is just awesome. But uh, <laughs> uh, first of all, I was pretty surprised to see Kawhi win it. I really thought Draymond had it locked up. Did you feel the same way? 
you never know on these things, and you got to look at really what the voting populace is. It's kind of radio announcers. It's, it's a lot of local guys who, frankly, just don't follow the league that closely and may just have only seen a guy on uh, you know a couple of occasions when his team played. And it all depends how much time you're willing to put in on that. So, um, you know, those award results don't surprise me much, especially when it's some of the lesser awards. Like, and Draymond got more first place votes, but he was just left off some more ballots completely than Kawhi was. So that ended up being the difference. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me. Um, it's a little surprising that Kawhi was the one who beat him instead of you know, kind of a more public candidate. But I guess Kawhi is having one Finals MVP last year. So. Uh, not entirely surprising, and I think Kawhi is deserving. I think you you look at it on just a per play basis. He was as good or better than Draymond by the advanced metric. I, I tend to like big guys just a little bit more. I think they have a little more of an impact than wing guys do. But you know, it, it's not even close to the worst choice. Or, or even, you know, top five worst that we've had in the last fifteen years. That would have been DeAndre if that had happened. <laughs> no. Not the worst choice. I, oh, God. I would have, I legitimately would have lost all faith. Not that I have a ton of faith <laughs> in our voting process, but I would have lost like the majority of the faith I had at that point. Um, Nate, what about coach of the year? We saw the res- I think that was yesterday, right? That those results came out. Um, it's, you know, it's, of course, it's semantics when you're debating, you know, Quinn Snyder was eighth, for example. And I, you know, I was making the argument that he could have, I had him fourth in mine, which is a slight homer pick. But do you think that it's, that it's crazy for Jazz fans essentially to imagine that they already may have a guy who's at least on the fringes of being one of the five best coaches in the league? Yeah, I, I don't think that's crazy at all. It, you can't really point to anything that Snyder has done poorly thus far to be able to get this kind of a defensive performance out of a really young team. That's something that very, very rarely happens in the NBA to be able to get guys to execute like that. He's seen the guys under his watch improve their individual skill level and, and favors in Hayward. So that's been a, a huge uh, feather in his cap as well. And even, you know, to get guys like, I mean, if you look at, to get them to the offensive performance they had when they basically had what you would call replacement level offensive performers at the one and the two for the majority of the year, it's quite remarkable. And, and, I mean, we may realize that a lot of these guys who are on this Jazz team are better, but he's helped them improve, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. Last question before we let you go. And guys, again, this is Nate Duncan. You can find his Dunked On night daily basketball podcast each night with Danny LaRue on uh, on Real. It's Real GM, correct? Yeah, it is. Excellent. And yeah, it gets up within a couple hours, guys, of the games happening that night. And it's basically your best refresher that you can get right away for really solid opinions on the games. Yesterday, uh, last night, you guys discussed the news that we saw yesterday of the firing of Scott Brooks over in Oklahoma City. Um, and we, you may be repeating yourself just a little bit, but I just wanted to get your general thoughts on that. Was that something you were in favor of? Were you in the camp of, well, if they were going to do it, they should have done it a year ago? That's kind of what I think. Uh, what were your thoughts there? Well, there's two components to this, right? One is sort of the appeasement aspect. Are you taking a risk by moving on from a coach that has a good relationship or maybe overstated how good it is? We don't know. We're not there. But with uh, the stars that Oklahoma City is trying to retain in 2016 and 2017, Durant and Westbrook. 
So there's that aspect of it, of just the straight personality, appease these guys, make them want to stay. The probably more important aspect is the one of how good is your team going to actually be. And for that perspective, you know, I think it's more of a risk in the first perspective than the second perspective. Brooks, I think, has had evolved a little bit, but not as much as you would have liked to see. And really, the low-hanging fruit for Oklahoma City to improve is instituting more ball movement, more player movement, stretching the defense more, playing maybe with more offensive-oriented and spacing-oriented lineups that Brooks was often reluctant to play. And now I think the next question, though, is you look at some of the candidates who are being discussed, the field has broadened a little bit, but I think you have to go with someone who you at least have a reasonable belief is going to improve the Thunder in those areas and has hopefully some sort of a record in the NBA at doing that. I think Calvin Gentry, to me, should be the front runner. A little difficult with the timing there because he probably won't be available until the NBA Finals uh, if the Warriors do as well as everyone's anticipating. But with both the way he has worked with point guards, Nash, Paul, now Curry in his career, and the way he has uh, helped institute some great ball movement-oriented systems, uh, most recently in Golden State, he would be the guy I would look for uh, with maybe a Tori Messina being another guy off the Spurs bench, much more so than maybe a guy out of college, uh, which is also what they're apparently considering. Messina is a wild card, I think. And I also like Mike Malone, potentially, as a thought for them. Although he I, he's always been struck me as a little more of a defensive type of guy, and I think they've already got a good enough system in place there, maybe. So with Dennis Cantor, maybe they need yeah. a little bit more help there. That's a good point. I, I, I well, think that's, it's a... Sorry, yeah, go ahead, Nate. One more thing, sorry, which will be of interest to Utah fans, is who they get as coach could be very interesting for Cantor's space there. You know, if they move to someone who's more in the vein of someone I was talking about, then Cantor is going to become a lot more superfluous. You might see them want to play more with Ibaka at the five. Left was too big. Cantor's still not quite there from a shooting standpoint, although he's made some steps there. Um, so, you know, that could mean that they end up moving on from Cantor, although that would certainly be embarrassing to trade a pick for, you know, two and a half months of a guy and not even make the playoffs. Yeah, that certainly would be pretty hilarious on jazz fans' part. Sorry, I just had to say it. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I also thought it was interesting, Nate, just how you use the phrase low-hanging fruit as, as that's how maybe the easiest way for the Thunder to improve. I've, I've heard that phrase used uh, with Ty Corbin in the Jazz last season, that that was maybe the easiest way that the Jazz could add some wins was, was making the transition from Ty Corbin to, to another head coach, obviously, in Quinn Snyder. So It appears uh, to have worked out. It, it does. So anyway, I just thought that was an interesting, another interesting little Jazz tie. But again, thanks, Nate, so much for... For, for joining us. Where can we read your stuff? Uh, well, right now I'm a writing free agent, but hopefully not for too much longer, kind of weighing things. But uh, check out the podcast in the meantime, and uh, you can find me at Nate Duncan NBA on Twitter. I usually uh, reactive live tweeting games during the playoffs, so uh, that's where you can find me. Perfect. Sounds good. Hey, thanks so much, Nate, for joining us. All right, my pleasure, guys. Thank you very much, Nate. And guys, make sure that you go and follow Nate at the, the Twitter address that he just listed for you at Nate Duncan NBA. No underscores, no goofy stuff in there. Um, he legitimately <laughs> unlike some is, of us, unlike some of us that have underscores in our name or random letters in the middle of our name. Uh, <laughs> Nate is a really my name excellent. is Andy Blarson. It's That's true. Your name is Andy Blarson. Um, Nate is really as as excellent as they come as far as NBA follows the the. 
for me, it's the speed at which he thinks of these things. Like, because I can watch a game, and if I watch it back or if I rewind a play, I can watch it. And 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 often, I you know, I'm, I'm I know the game, so I'll catch things in real time. But the 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 intricacies that Nate is catching the first time through, I think is is really almost unique among people who are at least among people who are bothering to tweet their thoughts. Then after that, because yeah. you just you just don't see people that are picking up the stuff he is in the moment very often. This Bucks Bulls game, by the way, has gotten close. It was ninety four eighty six with two minutes left to go, and then the the Bulls or sorry the Bucks have gone on a little run here with two consecutive three point shots by the free agent man himself, Chris Middleton. Huh. Uh, so that game is now within two points with fifty five seconds left. It's Bulls ball, and they've got the two point lead. But all of a sudden, the Bucks are back in it. Okay, that should be interesting. I'm, and I man, just Middleton, wanted to point that out. Middleton has been such a revelation for those guys. It's incredible. What. Uh, what do you think about um, the Defensive Player of the Year? Uh, for, first of all, Rudy Gobert getting fifth. Does, that strikes me as, as fair. There were some uh, segments of the jazz media that put Rudy Gobert first. Cough, Jody Genesee. Um, <laughs> Here's my thing with that. I, I found it kind of comical that Jody took gruff for doing that when DeAndre Jordan got 32 first place votes. That's that's all I had to say about that. Like, if you're going to get on somebody for their votes, get on the 32 people who <laughs> voted for the second best defender on the 16th best defense in the league. Get on those guys. Don't get on the guy who voted for a guy who is unquestionably one of the best defenders in the league and was the best defender on a team that was by far the best defense in the league once he became a starter. I would not be against not allowing those those people who cover just one team to uh, or you know cover a team and the rest of the league like Jody Genesee does uh, to not be able to vote for their own team's players I in the same way that GMs can't vote for their own team's players in, in the GM poll at the beginning of the season. I would be fine with that, but with that said, I don't have an issue with Jody making that vote. And as far as where Rudy ended up in the voting. I think fifth is accurate for him. I think the fact that it's below DeAndre Jordan is a joke, but that's... Ju- <laughs> that really. is your favorite. That is that is the hill you will die on. It really... Well, luckily, I'll be, have lots of company because basically anybody <laughs> who watches frequently... On, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to say that the guy's a terrible defender. At no point am I trying to say that. He's a, a well above average defender in the NBA, no question, and a great shot blocker, I should say, but... Just being a shot blocker doesn't make you an elite defender. And the simple fact that the Clippers did worse defensively while he was on the floor than they did while he sat down, despite, as we mentioned earlier, having a god-awful bench as far as bigs, guys that aren't even playing right now in their first-round series. To me, that's just how could that guy possibly be the defensive player of the year? His team was a league average defense, and they were better when he didn't play. Sorry. I, I, all right. You seem upset about something. I, uh, earlier I was. <laughs> It's okay. I, I got it. It's it's all right. I got it under control. It's, I'm just glad he didn't win. I I really, if if you had told me yesterday that Draymond wasn't going to win, I would have said, "Ugh, that means DeAndre's going to." J. A. Donde voted for DeAndre Jordan number one. I I just I I I'm sorry. Like J. A. I think that really means that J. A. Didn't do his research well enough because if if you do any kind of basic research into this, you can. It's not like it's 1990 where we can't track. The, the effect of someone as a rim protector. We can track that. We have the ability to do it. We have the ability to not only watch every play that he's ever defended at the rim, but also to watch, to look at the numbers and the cumulative effect of him at the rim. And it's it's nowhere close to the league's best rim protectors. It's nowhere close to Bogut, nowhere close to Rudy, nowhere close to Serge Ibaka, guys like that. It's not even in the same building. And he's an awful, po- not, not an awful post defender, <laughs> but a, he's a subpar post defender for a center. He got grilled by Tim Duncan last night, who, you know, 
Tim's great, but Tim is not at this point in his career an above average post player anymore. He's, or, I mean, maybe he's around average, and he, he grilled DeAndre to the, just killed him last night. I don't know. I'm going to get off that soapbox, but I, I, <laughs> I, I'm just glad he didn't win. I'm fine with okay. it. As long as he didn't win and didn't take the actual award away from someone more deserving, that I'm okay with it. I'd rather Rudy finish it above him. Maybe Rudy will take that as a slight next year and we'll kill him when they play together, which, your, which would be nice. Your thoughts on Quinn Snyder's eighth place finish? Um, like I said with Nate, I do find it, you know, it's semantics when you're debating like he should have finished sixth instead of he should have finished eighth. Yeah, I, well, you, you would have had him fourth, but I'm, I'm curious who you would have had him over. You know, so the, the top seven, I guess, are Mike Buttonholzer, who won it, Steve Kerr, Jason Kidd, Brad Stevens, who you love, uh, Greg Popovich, Kevin McHale, and Tom Thibodeau. I would probably put Quinn over Thibodeau, but I, I think that's it. I, I mean, definitely I, McHale. Really, like I don't. What did what did Kevin McHale do? He made that team a contender with only one good player, with with Dwight Howard being out the entire season. I, I guess I just didn't see how much of that was actually on his shoulders. There, I mean, I guess the defense was he gets pretty a lot solid. of credit for like Donatus Montejunas being a good player and like being a capable NBA team playing Joey Dorsey as many minutes as they did. And I guess Quinn Snyder gets credit for being a capable yeah. NBA team with how many D leaguers they played. But like, yeah, the, um, the Rockets were 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 a great team with all the injuries that they had uh, on the back of James Harden and Kevin McHale's very. Uh, I I think it's impressive how far he's embraced the Mori Ball system. Uh, I guess that's fair, although to a point, you know, he wouldn't have a job if he didn't embrace the Mori Ball well, system. Yeah, but he gets credit for doing that, right? That, that's true, I, and I, I, I'm i I'm okay with it. I'm fine with Snyder being eighth. I, I, I would have him above McHale and definitely above Thibodeau, and in this case, I would have also had him above uh, uh, Jason Kidd. Why? I, well, because I don't think that Milwaukee's defensive ascension is due majorly to Jason Kidd. I think it's due to, uh, to Sean Sweeney, who's their assist. I think that's, if you've heard the, the insiders talking about this recently, he's the guy in charge of their defense not Jason Kidd. Sweeney's the guy who came in and instituted the switch everything system. The You realized how much they could utilize guys like Middleton and their length and things like that. Um, and I don't think a head coach should get credit for that. Whereas I don't think there's any question that it is Quinn Snyder who is directly responsible for the Jazz's defense. Well, and, well then and Rudy does, Gobert. does Steve Kerr get credit for Alvin Gentry's assistant coaching? No, no that's kind of the same thing. That's why okay. I had uh, that's why I had Steve Kerr third on my own personal non-existent ballot behind, <laughs> and where Brad Stevens would have been second. Um, and then I would have had Snyder fourth, and I would have had I uh, would have had Pop fifth. Uh, now that's not to say I think Quinn Snyder right now is a better coach than Greg Popovich. I don't, but I'm also not as far as the coach of the year goes. I'm not on that whole like you know you got to vote for Michael Jordan every year just because he's the best player no matter mm-hmm. what. With coaches, I think there's a little bit more of a gray area as far as that. Like just because a guy you know Popovich is still clearly the best coach in the NBA, although he had a really bad night last night, but he's, he's still clearly the best coach. Despite that, I don't think it's just that he should just. I disagree with Zach Lowe in that area where Zach voted him, and it's pretty much like he should win. Every Every year, unless he makes glaring, glaring mistakes, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think, I think it's different for Coach of the Year. Basically, hmm. we may have to talk more about that, but right now we have to go to a commercial break. All right. On the other side, we're going to be talking about some jazz news um, uh, regarding Joe Ingles, the lottery, as, as well as Rodney Hood, and as well as some other NBA news from around the association. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. Ben Dowsett, associate editor of saltcityhoops.com, is over there on the other side. Um, 
We've got exciting overtime playoff basketball. We were complaining earlier. Okay, maybe only I was <laughs> about this. These playoffs being a little bit boring, maybe a little bit lacking in close games. But luckily, the last two have been close games. Yeah. Uh, we've got last night of obviously Spurs Clippers went into overtime, and now we've got Chicago Bulls and the Milwaukee Bucks going into overtime. That uh, game has three minutes left in overtime. Bulls currently up two, uh, though it is Milwaukee's ball. All right, so. Um, uh, got a couple of news notes around the association that we want to just briefly mention, talk about, including uh, jazz stuff, including some jazz stuff, which is which has been new for this show. We've we've been talking a lot of playoff stuff because obviously you know that's a big NBA story right now. Um, but Scotty Brooks was fired, and I know that's something that you feel very passionate pa- passionately about. Although uh, you didn't want to dance on his grave, no, and I and and passionately I think is a bit of an overstatement, but I I, I do think that. Throughout the past three years or so, there have been a number of instant, and in, even going all the way back to that finals, where as Zach Lowe put in his piece today about the firing of Scott Brooks, the the fact that Miami knew and players actually apparently told Zach, players that were on that Miami team in honest moments have whispered to Zach that they that when they saw that Oklahoma City was not going to go away from Kendrick Perkins and those big lineups in that series, despite Miami basically putting Shane Battier on him and saying, guard us, good luck, yeah, bring it. that th- that Miami knew they had the title in the bag at that point. And that's... Which would be pretty cool. like <laughs> Knowing that you had a title in the bag, that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah just to be like, oh, you're playing that guy. Yeah, and okay. you know, if all the players <laughs> on... And I think I think we saw frequent instances of that over the last few years where he was just he was too slow to make the right alterations. I think he was great as far as uh, he he brought he developed some of these guys. You know, there's there's no way of saying whether guys like Durant and Westbrook would be as good as they are if he hadn't allowed them to run free and fostered them kind of in the way that he had, which Mm -hmm. I think he deserves praise for. He did well enough defensively, um, in fact, very well at certain times. But I just think if you're a franchise like them, who it's it really is next year, it's it's almost like a finals or bust type of thing, which sounds nuts, but that's it's kind of what it is for them with the talent they've got and with Durant's free agency approaching. I just think leaving a lame duck coach in in Scott Brooks, and I like I mentioned with Nate a, a couple minutes ago, I think they should have done this about a year ago, if not maybe a little bit more, because then whoever you bring in now has more time to get the trust of these guys and more time to build that rapport and everything. And I just think they could have done with a better strategist and a better tactical uh, coach earlier. Don't, don't look now, but the Pelicans have gotten a 16-point lead on the Warriors. Wow. So this 54 one might be good to 38. Too. You assume with four the minutes left are... in the second. Like, that sort of defense from the Warriors is is kind of shocking. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting. I think they're being challenged more than we thought they were going to just a little bit. That's All fair. right. Jazz um, pieces of well, news. Well, let's, let's, let's finish up the um, NBA stuff real quick. Right, first. right. Okay. Um, the Atlanta Hawks were sold for $850 million. Is that a final? Is, is it that's, for sure final? That's a, I, I mean, it's definitely final. The The team announced it, so that's a pretty clear sign. Okay. Um, that $850 million is is an estimate been reported. I've also seen somewhere in the high 700s range. But, you know, it depends on how much you value assets like the team stadium. Yeah. Um, and that's still a pretty good price for a franchise. That's actually pretty uh, struggled to draw fans. Group uh, invo- includes Grant Hill. Interestingly enough, uh, the group and also Mike Budenholzer, apparently he's is involved in the the has a small stake in the ownership group as well. And then we have one LOL Laker news. We might as well do it just real quick. Just real quick. Let's play the music. Okay, good. There we go. We almost we almost didn't have an LOL Laker thing. But then at the very end, Steve Ballmer stepped in. The the new Clippers owner gave us a new LOL Lakers moment, namely that they're using the LOL Lakers locker room 
as the Clippers Ownership Lounge. That's really I mean, excellent. Steve Ballmer and friends are just hanging out in the Lakers locker room, just having having a great time. Presumably, if you've, if you've ever seen Steve Ballmer in public, this strikes me as an <laughs> extremely Steve Ballmer thing to do. Like to, the first I ever saw of that guy was that crazy Microsoft video a few years, like yeah. whatever that was, when he freaked out at that Microsoft conference, which was <laughs> awesome. And from there, I was just like, this guy is awesome. And then when I found out that he was going to potentially own a sports franchise, yeah, I mean, this, <laughs> when you. This is the kind of guy who is, you know, buy out the the opposing teams, or I guess the the team that you own the arena with, and use their locker room as as a lounge. Yeah, I think that's I mean, pretty that's, awesome. That's perfect. Anyway. All right, that's the only LOL Lakers for this week. We got that's some applause the there for news. Yeah. All right, let's go to Jazz World real quick. Um, Joe Ingles had some injury news. He was he was planning on playing for the Australian national team. Um, but after consulting with team doctors on the Australian national team, as well as team doctors with the Utah Jazz, as well as his own doctors, uh, they decided to pull him out of that series. So that would have been a uh, two-game Rio Olympics qualifier that they'd be playing against New Zealand this August, um, and he will be not playing in that, although the, the other Australians in the league, Andrew Bogut, Patty Mills, Dante Exum, etc., will all be there. Okay. Um, so... And now if, you know, if he does end up coming back for the Jazz next year, which a lot of fans are hoping he will, that could be a bit of a boon it's, it, that he won't have any kind of summer miles on his legs. I think it's interesting that you noted he had his knee drained to fluid several times and had a back issue. Um, we I didn't hear about said, those quote, things. Yeah, no, we, we hadn't. And, uh, quote, unquote, I missed three games and probably would have missed more if the NBA All-Star break hadn't come when it did. Okay, interesting. So I, I, I do think it's interesting. I mean, First of all, I think it's interesting that we don't know that he had his knee drained. I mean, uh, those to me are sort of the sort of things that would be nice to know as fans and, and people who cover the team, right? Like, that's oh, yeah. that's important information for us, you know, deciding how to how to analyze how well Joe Ingles will play, for example. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, small pet peeve there. But. Yeah. And then uh, the Jazz, they also had the lottery coin flip since our last show. That was last Friday um, between the Jazz and the Indiana Pacers for who would draft 11th and 12th. The Jazz lost the quote-unquote coin flip. It's actually a drawing, um, so I don't know what that means, but it's it's not a coin flip. It's the, the, it's a 50-50 the odds thing. equivalent of a coin yes. flip. The Jazz lost it, will pick 12th, unless they somehow win the lottery, which they are... Have about a three percent chance of, and their odds of that remain even with Indiana's. So, that, so that doesn't change. So you're but yeah. telling me there's a chance, exactly. So, but that, assuming yeah. that, assuming that neither team does jump up, then the Jazz will pick lower. Uh, real quick, a tweet from uh, Clint Peterson here. Not to mention Joe Ingles' wedding is in August as well, which is correct, Clint. Maybe that uh, had a small, subtle thing to do with. It did no? not because they scheduled it around those two dates. Oh, okay, okay. That's so in the article. So we know he's not. We know he's not backing out of it. Then he's no. The, he's not backing out for he wedding is, reasons. He is getting married, injured or not. All right. Well, that's good. He just has. He gets a longer honeymoon. Let's put it that way. And then Rodney Hood. Rodney Hood was your April NBA Rookie of the Month for the Western Conference. Which I, I think that's deserving. He played really well in April. and um, NBA fans were clamoring for the Andrew Wiggins to win it. Okay. Um, which would that have I, meant I think he would have won like three point. or four different months or something which like is, that? Is again, that why? No, because I, uh, if you look at it somewhat you know, away from the Jazz fan point of view, you can make a case for Andrew Wiggins. And basically, Wiggins had the better counting stats, um, but his team had lost 12 games in a row in April. On the other hand, Rodney Hood's team did significantly better. 
So for whatever reason, the NBA chose to reward the guy on the winning team with worse stats compared to Andrew Wiggins, who had probably better counting stats, but okay. worse overall. Fine with me. Wiggins is going to, frankly, probably have a lot more opportunities to win <laughs> awards in the future of his career than Rodney Hood is. So that's fine that's with true. me. I mean, it, it's not that big of a deal, but nevertheless, that's what happened. Yeah. Um, uh, I also think Clint's tweet from earlier was funny. Hey, Andy Blarson, does Ben have one or two underscores in his handle? That would be only one underscore, right? It is just one underscore. I'm not quite that pretentious. <laughs> there are people who have, like, is, doesn't Rachel Nichols have two underscores? And she's not pretentious at all. Uh, I guess that's kind of true. Sometimes you just need two underscores because Rachel underscore singular Nichols is taken. Fair enough, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we're going to be looking at your um, end of season predictions as well as maybe doing a would you rather if we've got time for it. All right. well, let's go ahead and take the break now. Coming up next on ESPN 700. Listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Yeah, I'm not going to wrap over that, but nevertheless, I was hoping you would. I, I'm not going to. Welcome back in. <laughs> Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett, wrapping up the show with a little bit of deep as oh no. With the 2007-08 Utah Jazz theme song. We got double overtime going on. We do have double overtime. Currently, Chicago 107, Milwaukee 101 with 253 left in, in a double overtime game. But again, still, now this play, this playoffs has, I don't know, emotion. Uh, uh, how about this? Close games. Close games. is. Close I'll, games. I'll take them. That's all I want. I'm fine with it. Um, let's, let's recap your season predictions. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's something that, you know, we, we want to do about, we want to talk a little bit more about the jazz and, and you had an article at the beginning of the season where you boldly put 10 predictions out to the world as an offering. And what did the world do back? Um, so I ended up, I kind of removed the ninth, the, the tenth, just because uh, from like points, just because I predicted their exact rating offensively and defensively and where they'd rank in the league, which I'm not going to kill myself for getting either of those wrong. But you've got, I mean, you've got the offensive one relatively right I was within and the like defensive three spots one relatively wrong. Just right? like everyone, I missed the defensive one by quite a bit. Um, but other than that, I went five and a half out of nine on the other nine predictions. So not too bad. Um, the ones that I missed the most badly were the first one, unfortunately, which was that the Jazz would go from a bottom five team in pace to a top ten team in pace. Oh, and by the nope. way, guys, this is an article that's on Salt City Hoops from earlier this yes. week. You can go check out a, a longer and more detailed description of my clairvoyancy on there. I um, <laughs> you got five and a half out of nine. Yeah, that's well, not my even clairvoyancy passing. or lack thereof on the on that article. Um, that's a I, solid D minus, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, some of them were sort outlandish. So, like, I think okay, I, I, I definitely whiffed really hard on the the pace. I just and I you know I have a quote in there. Quinn Snyder thought the Jazz were going to be faster too i wasn't the only right. one who no, thought definitely. as much and it just the way things worked out didn't end up that way so i didn't get that one um i didn't get um i had i got a, i got half of sort of but didn't give myself a point for it that i i had trey burke's assist to turnover ratio going down but that was a softball because it was 3.02 last year which is really hard to keep up for a, a starting point guard right. but then the rest of the prediction was that his efficiency both shooting and overall would markedly improve which was uh, kind of a bad call unfortunately yeah and, and instead his efficiency went down which which was even yeah. was was surprising given yeah. that he didn't have much to go. Uh -huh. And then another one I missed was Alec Burks. Uh, I had Alec Burks five percent 
of his points through a combination of free throws and points in the paint. Now, he did miss a lot of the year, but even before then in a 27-game sample, he was only at about 60% rather than mm. 75%, so I couldn't I, I couldn't give myself anything there. Um and other than that, I I got a half a point. I predicted that Gordon Hayward would lead the Jazz in steals per game, which was correct. But I also predicted that he would finish in the NBA's top fifteen among rotation players, which was incorrect. He was like in the thirties or something like that. So I took I gave myself a half point. And then the ones I got right, um, I had Ennis Cantor making fewer than twenty five threes on the season. Mm-hmm. It's just. The type of player he is. He had so only f- sixteen. Just yeah. So I got that one there, and there are so few. I mean, he and that's with, as I mentioned in the in the review, that's with an. He had a green light, honestly. From if he was open, he had a green light both in Oklahoma City and in Utah to go for it, and he just. It, they, those opportunities don't present themselves well enough for a player like that who functions mostly in the low post, and that was the, my whole reasoning for picking it in the first place. Okay. Um, I also got the Jazz's rebounding total. I uh, picked that they would collect over 51% of all available rebounds, which isn't a total softball. There's only about 10 teams per year that get of 51% of all available rebounds, sometimes less than mm-hmm. that, actually. And the Jazz actually ended up being the best rebounding team in the NBA and got 52.8% of all their rebounds on the nice. season. So I nailed that one, which was pretty good. And let's see. Uh, oh, got the turnovers right, that the Jazz would enter the top 10 in t- for turnover percentage this year. They were fourth. Um, it's not hard to see why. They threw the most passes in the league but accumulated the second fewest assists. So some of those passes naturally then probably went to the other team. And the Jazz also just <laughs> had some turnover issues for the entire year. Right. I gave myself a point on one that hasn't quite happened yet, which was that Rodney Hood would make the all-rookie first or second team. I'm. You think that's going to happen? Like, I'm less confident make, than you are. I think he's going to make the second team. Nearly all the ballots I've seen from people who actually have votes have had him on the second team, and I saw one that had him on the first team, which I thought was a little crazy. Like, I love Rodney, but he played 40, he played 50 games. He can't right. quite make the, the all-rookie first team, even in a weak year for rookies. Um, I have said I will issue a Twitter apology and take my take a point away from myself if it turns out he doesn't <laughs> actually make the, the second team, okay. but I think he's going we to. We will issue a correction on Salt City Hoops. We shall. Um, and then also I had that... Uh, uh, another sort of relative softball that the Jazz would finish outside the bottom five for net per possession rating, which they finished 16th. I I do think, as I said in the piece as well, that even if I had made a slightly less softball prediction, like if I had said they'll finish outside the top 10, which would have at the time, I think, seemed kind of outlandish, don't you think? Mm-hmm. They they still would have exceeded that. So I'm still giving myself the point, even though predicting them to be one spot better than they were last year wasn't exactly a revelation pick in the first place. But, but you you made that pick anyway. I did. I made no, that. I, I really like this exercise just because you hear, especially, you know, we're on sports radio, so I don't want to attack sports radio, but sports radio hosts often are, are experts at making predictions and not experts at holding themselves accountable to those predictions later on right. once things have happened during during a season and so I, I think it's really valuable to then be honest with yourself take a look at where you were um at the beginning of the season and kind of what you've learned over that over that next six months uh i think it's instructive i think yeah. there's a lot of time where it's you know because it, it can also instruct you on how the team has developed contrary to maybe what you were expecting it's easy to look back and kind of forget or to not look back excuse me and forget kind of where we were at a certain point we've got an awesome post on ken from ken clayton coming up the brother of dan clayton nice um the brothers clayton indeed i'm I'm excited for it and he had an interesting piece where um lee benson who was a sports editor from the deseret news in 1983 19 uh, after the 1983-84 season where the jazz made the playoffs for the first time he was saying keep this roster trade the draft pick and let's 
let's build with this core group of guys who have just you know made this playoff spot. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, there's obviously some some case for that. But nevertheless, the Jazz ended up making a pretty good draft pick that season in John Stockton. So and that worked out. I, I think those are the sorts of things that you know. Hindsight is twenty twenty, obviously, but it's also helpful as we kind of enter in a new season in where we the Jazz have so much youth going up um, that uh, we hear a lot that maybe the Jazz should just keep the players that they have. I think there's still more growing to be done. I think it's important to look at those sort of predictions and say, you know, maybe I was wrong or yeah. maybe, uh, you know, this is the right way to think about things now, given what we learned in 1983. Yeah. Speaking of John Stockton, by the way, I was looking up some stuff the other last night when Duncan had that 28 and 11 last night as a 38 year old, which uh-huh. I thought it, if guy, ha, you know, how many guys have done that in the playoffs before? And then I just started looking at how many guys even had Duncan's statistical thresholds from this season at that age. John Stockton, at the age of 38 for the Utah Jazz, had an assist percentage of 48% while he yeah. was on the floor. He assisted 48% of Jazz baskets while on the floor at 38 years old. And the only other person who ever had a game that equaled Tim Duncan's statistical last night, which was 28 points, 11 rebounds, and 44 minutes or more wow. in the playoffs, only player to ever do that at his age or older was Carmelo. Although I'll point out it was not Carmelo in his Jazz jersey. It, no, it was when he was playing for the Lakers, and he had, I think it was like a 30 and 13 or something like that on 47 minutes. And, and that was in the first round of that uh, playoffs, which I think is really interesting. Um because uh, Karl Malone then uh, was injured and, and kind of battered down by the end of that, especially in the NBA Finals. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if they had not played Karl Malone more than 44 minutes in that series or in that game or you know played him less overall, if they get a healthy Karl Malone performance for, those, for that NBA Finals against the, NBA play, or against the Detroit Pistons and, and, and win. Their fourth straight championship is what that would have been. And that, hey, goes right back into that, that theme of rest, which, by the way, <laughs> keep an eye out on my Twitter feed tomorrow at Basketball Insiders. I will have uh, a piece coming as far as that goes we're going full circle in this in we this are show. That's we great. really are we're good at that um so chicago just won their game against the milwaukee bucks to take a 3-0 lead in that series that's 113 106 that's a double overtime finish so that's that's impressive especially for uh derrick rose who had a tremendous game just pulling up his box score right now uh it was 34 points for derrick in 23 shots also eight assists five rebounds for him uh, you know three steals three steals Jimmy Butler did play 53 minutes, which 53. is a lot of minutes. <laughs> oh, goodness. Like, you, you just can't they tell now me have that won the series. You can't tell me that that's going to be good for next round. When no, you're of course not. To... But, you know, given that they could have used each and every inch of Jimmy Butlerness over, say, Kirk Heinrich, you can make a case that it really was worth it in order to put the Bucks away and make sure that you win this first-round series, which, you know, is, is not a foregone conclusion at only 2-0 up. No, and to get, I guess they'll want that rest because it's looking like Cleveland is going to lock theirs up in either four or five games here, most likely. Right. And they'll, you know, you'll probably need a little bit of rest coming in to face LeBron in that next series. Yes, agreed. All right, well, let's wrap up another great edition of the Salt City Hoop Show. Um, as always, you can listen to the, if you missed any part of the show, you can listen to it on saltcityhoops.com later on ESPN700sports.com later, or if you're using, if you're downloading podcasts on your phone, you can always do it on through iTunes or Stitcher, um, those podcast players, so that's great. Um, you can always check out our writing on saltcityhoops.com. Check us out. We're the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Thanks again so much for everyone for listening. Have a great week. We'll see you on the other side. Salt City Hoops, ESPN 700.